We have been in a series on, uh, about being a church that cares. And so uh, this morning we're thinking a little bit about what does it mean to be a church that offers practical care and to help, help for those who we come across. And we're going to look at a little bit from Luke chapter 10, that story of the Good Samaritan, which may be very familiar to us in its broadest sense. And look at what actually was going on in this conversation that took place and what are the implications for us as God's people in the here and now. As we come into land this morning in the talk, there's going to be some response and opportunity for us to, uh, to, to step up and say, yeah, we'd like to be a people that show practical care. So just, just, just to warn you that that's where we're going in a few minutes' time, just in case you feel that you want to doze off for a few moments. Um, that's absolutely fine, no worries at all, Um, but uh, we will be getting into some practical response a bit later on. So here we go, this story then that takes place in Luke chapter 10 that talks about a teacher of the law showing up and having a conversation with Jesus. It says that he stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the context is a public setting. Jesus is speaking, uh, having conversation with a variety of people. And this guy, who's a teacher of the law, an expert in the religious law at the time, stands up to challenge Jesus with this question. And the question is both theological and practical. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the question lies a challenge to Jesus and a test And the test is this, Jesus, which bit of the law are you going to highlight to the detriment of the rest? Which bit are you going to focus on, Jesus? Because then when you focus on that bit, we will say to you, ah, but you missed out all the rest of it. Jesus, you focused on this one command, but look, there are all these other commands that you've missed out on. So there was a pause That's written between the lines, I think. But probably a pause. The guy stood up, asked the question. And then Jesus, as he often did, uh, on the back of people who put him to the test, whereas many of us would think about, what, what would I say in response to this challenge? How many of you have your most creative moments in revenge thoughts? What would I say? How should I, what should I have said in response to this thing that the person said to me? I don't know whether it's just me, but I often have my most creative moments thinking, oh, if only I'd said that. That would really have, you know, blessed them. <laughs> um, so Jesus is being put to the test. And the question, what am I going to do to inherit eternal life? So there's a, a theological challenge and then there's a, a legal challenge as well. And Jesus in response says this, what is written in the law, how does it read to you? Jesus was a master at rather than responding with you ought to do this or you must do that, responding with a question. Uh, What's your take on this, teacher of the law, as you stand up in this setting? Tell me what your take is on it. What do you consider to be the key things that would be a a, a religious person's duty and response and this guy goes from the immediate the immediacy of a question that's a challenge to being engaged in conversation 
You imagine if it was in this setting and one of you stood up and said, yes, Simon, let me just ask you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And rather than telling it, you the answer, I say, I, 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 tell me, what do you think? And you're standing in a conversation in front of all these people. Jesus was a master at that. I like to think he was smiling as he did it. Tell me, what, what do you think? Uh, and probably in the response that the guy gives, I like to think that as Jesus smiled at this man, he pointed at him. And he pointed at him to a particular thing that this guy would have been carrying and wearing as a teacher of the law. You see, every teacher of the law carried with him a little box around his wrist. And on the little box around his wrist was con- c- contained the law. What it meant to be a true Jew, a person who worshipped the Lord. And on this little uh, box, in this little box would have been the law. And so when this guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and then love your neighbour as yourself. He's quoting from what we now know as Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. These two key summaries of the law that Jesus himself referred to when he talked. So I like to think as Jesus smiled at this man and asked him the question, he just gently pointed at his wrist and said, you t- tell me, what do you think are the key commands, the things to keep? And the guy looking at the wrist then says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, except, uh, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, in this teaching this morning, it's, Jesus is not instructing the guy how to how to become a Christian, how to get into a relationship with God. Jesus is, is assuming that this man is already religious. So Luke chapter 10 is not about how do I get to be a Christian? Well, you do lots of really good things. And then on the, on the back of doing lots of really good things, you get to be a Christian. Jesus, this passage has been used like that over the years. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, look, what, what does a, a relationship with God look like? In essence, what does it look like? And the guy's saying, well, it's loving God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor as yourself. I love what uh, John Calvin said, great reformer and theologian. He said this, he said, it's faith alone that justifies us, but the faith that justifies us is never alone. In other words, how do we get to be in a relationship with God? Well, we respond in faith to Jesus. We say yes to him. And we are rescued, our sins lifted off of us, and we start a life again, afresh, following Jesus, free. But then Calvin said, look, that's not enough. It's not just enough to say, I'm saved. But what does a life look like that is saved? What are the implications on the way that we should live and act and behave And so Jesus says to this guy, well done, you've answered correctly. Do these things and you will live. If you want an answer to your question, he's saying you've answered it yourself. Love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Do these things and you will live. And then the temperature in the room went up a little bit. And the questioning got a little bit sharper. Because in was not satisfied. And he says, wishing to justify himself, well... You tell me who my neighbor is. Come on, Jesus, if you're so clever, if you're asking me these questions, let me ask you one that you won't be able to respond to. Who is my neighbor? Tell me who it is. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. 
and he says, let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he took this journey, he fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and went, and went away, leaving him half dead. It's a familiar story to us, isn't it? That journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 20 miles. How many people have actually seen this road? How many people have been there? You see, describe it to us a little bit. What's it like? Jean, yeah, or Chris? Desert road with nothing on it. And it's quite hilly, I think, isn't it, in places? Quite steep. Apparently, it was a notorious road. Jesus, when he told this story and said a, a guy is traveling along this road from Jericho to Jerusalem, everybody would have thought to themselves, what an idiot. He's going to be attacked. Uh, even actually post, uh, post-war, there were stories of people on this road being attacked. If you were a robber and you wanted to, to be, get better at your trade, this was the place that you went. Uh, it was a great place to hang out with other robbers who were good at robbing people. Um, if you were a person that wanted to avoid being robbed or having your iPad stolen, um, you didn't go here. Um, it, it was just uh, not the place to go. So here's this guy on this journey, uh, and he gets attacked, beaten up. And as he's left half for dead by these robbers, Jesus points out that a few people come along to try and uh, pass him when he's lying there half dead. It says a priest is going along the road, a religious person a leader of Christian communities, uh, of, of Jewish communities, or, or Christian communities, maybe. The priest passes by on the other side. Why? Well, because he saw the guy was half dead, probably assumed he was fully dead, and thought to himself, if I was to touch this dead person, I would be made unclean, so I will not touch him. And then it says, likewise, a Levite came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. In a modern context, this person would have been carrying a guitar on their shoulder, would have been wearing jeans and a t-shirt and singing, how great is our God, sing with me how great, as he walked down the road, saw the man half dead and went into verse 2, the chorus and the bridge, whilst walking past on the other side. The Levites called to be a people of worship and to lead in worship. And so this worship leader, as he walks along, sees the man half dead and then walks by and leaves him on the road. But, Jesus says, but, and again, you can imagine in this context, the real pause as he said it, but a Samaritan. And when Jesus said those words, it would have been shocking. It would have been shocking because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were doctrinally impure. They were racially um, uh, cast aside. They were considered to be not clean, not one of the true believers. So Jesus says, but a Samaritan walks by. In our modern culture, you can imagine... Jesus is talking about Israelis and Palestinians. He's talking to the South Koreans and he's saying a North Korean wanders by and stops. It's that sense of this is a no-no, Jesus. You can't possibly be saying that this Samaritan is going to do something that the priest and the Levite would not. He comes upon him, he meets him there, and then what happens, it says that he felt compassion. 
I think one of the greatest needs of people like you and me and of church is to be touched again by the Lord's compassion for people that we meet. That sense of uh, being moved to act because we sense the compassion of the Lord for a person that we meet. It says that of Jesus often before he prayed for somebody's healing. It says Jesus took compassion. He had compassion for the, for the person and then he prayed and he spoke over them. I think for us this morning, maybe there's that sense of, Lord, fill me with your heart, your compassion for the needs that we face within our community, within our city, within our region, within our nation, within the world. Lord, fill us with a sense of compassion for what's not right that needs to be put right. And here's this guy filled with compassion. Not only that, but he bandages him up. He takes him to this place, uh, takes him to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. Not only that, he says, look, he obviously had good credit with the innkeeper because he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pay you whatever I owe you to take care of this man. Jesus said on the back of this, as he's still looking at the guy standing up in this meeting, that's what I mean by a good neighbor. Now, the challenge is, go and do likewise. Do the same. Whatever you've gleaned from that story, now do it. If there was a rebuke that Jesus would speak to the modern church, I think it would be this. Guys, you've assumed that church is about coming to a place to worship and to sing songs and sit in rows and pray and then to go away again and kind of forget what you've heard. Actually, whatever you have gleaned from the relationship that you have with me, Jesus says, whatever you've gathered when you are together, go away and do it. Put it into practice. Or as James said in that reading, you know, don't just be listeners to the word, but do what it says. I love what Mark Twain said about the Bible. He said, you know, it's not the bits of the Bible that I don't understand that cause me most problems. It's of the bits of the Bible that I do understand. And there's a challenge for us is, look, the bits that we do understand, maybe we should go away and do them, put them into practice, to pray for the sick that we meet day by day, to proclaim the good news of Jesus day by day, to forgive those that have hurt us day by day. We need to be doers of God's word. Tim Keller, great Bible teacher, wrote a book, Ministries of Mercy. And in it, he says this, to meet the needs of the people around you sacrificially and with such zeal that people want to hear the gospel just to make some sense of you because you are hard to believe. To be so extravagant in our care for people that people want to, want to hear the gospel because they first encountered the good news through people like you and me. Church has ever been thus. It should be that. Getting stuck in, that's why we have living to make a difference as that sense of what God is calling us to here. Because as we do that, people are intrigued by uh, the kind of people that would do such a thing, serve in such a way. To do otherwise would mean that we'd be this kind of church in the first 20 seconds of this clip. This is the story of a little village on the edge of a big city where every week a handful of people go to church. They sing some hymns and say some prayers. Then they go home again and it makes absolutely no difference at all. The end.
No, it isn't. 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 It's actually the story of a crowd of everyday people who want their lives to make a difference. They're part of a church with a fine tradition of serving the local community. Their good work has grown beyond all expectation. And now they face a massive challenge, a unique opportunity that has the potential to make so much difference that they simply cannot keep it to themselves. It's about lives making a difference. It's about restoring relationships. It's about rebuilding community. And it's about individual lives discovering the difference that we could make. We're inviting everyone to find out a little more about these audacious plans to make such a difference in this community, across this region and beyond. See, the heart of the community project is not about a community building. It's about building a community and so we're called to be people that, that work towards that by get, getting stuck in, by being the kind of person that would offer practical care to those that we come across. I was, um, yeah, I'll say about that in, in a minute. Um, but here's a practical way that you could get stuck in, something that you could do, some practical care that you could help with. We have a, a fate on the 27th of May. Last year's fate was incredible, 1,700 people gathered up on the, by the, the trust hall, the grounds up there. We had a whole load of stuff that took place. Uh, it was a, a donation to come in. There was even welly wanging, which is throwing a welly. Um, I did actually last year throw a welly, and I uh, hit an old lady <laughs> with it. So if you are that old lady, I do apologize. Um, I, I threw it a long way. I mean, it was really awesome, but it smack, smacked on the back of the head. So... Um, so uh, you can see Peter there with his hat on. and um, So a whole load of stuff that we can get stuck in, we, we can help with. If we want to make a difference in this community, it's got to be actual, hasn't it? It can't be theoretical. And so here's an amazing opportunity in a couple of weeks' time where you could offer some practical help. You can get stuck in. You could serve teas for an hour. You could be on the, on the gate welcoming people as they come in. You could even host the welly-wanging competition um, and uh, protect, be a protector of uh, elderly folks within the community if I have a go. Um, you could help with this. And if you would like to help with this today, you can offer your services. Tanya uh, Booth, who's just over there, give us a wave, Tanya. Uh, Tanya is uh, collecting names. I have a bit of paper. Tanya's been very involved in getting this happening, set up. Um, she would love to hear from you at the end of this service. If you think, yeah, I can make tea for an hour, uh, talk to Tanya. Um, there will be other needs as well. Here's a great way that you could get stuck in and helping in this local community. The other thing that you could do is what we're calling random acts of kindness. Uh, I had a friend that every time he crossed the Seven Bridge, uh, he would pay for the car of the person behind, as well as his own car. Uh, it cost him, you know, 12 quid or whatever it is now. Pay and pay for the car. And then the car behind, I mean, he never saw the person behind. You can just imagine their face. They drove it, went to pay. Sorry, it's, it's been paid already. 
Um, what? But by the guy that's driving 70 miles an hour up the motorway ahead of you, it's, it's done, sorted. Random acts of kindness. Or some friends of mine and myself were in, uh, in London, and we, we bought McDonald's burgers for groups of homeless people, and we went along you know, Oxford Street and finding anybody that we could that was out begging for money and, and gave them um, you know, cheeseburgers and burgers. We just random acts of kindness, not asking for anything in return, just to do something that will make a difference in somebody's life. Um, or Sam and myself, when we were walking in London one day, a homeless guy was just sitting on the, on the floor begging for, food, uh, begging for money and him and his dog, nobody paying any attention. And as we walked past, um, was, you know, Sam and I just said, what, what should we do? And I said, well, let's go and ask. So we went back and said to the guy, you know, what, what do you need today? And he said, you know, I'm really hungry. So he said, why don't you come with us to McDonald's? And so the three of us went to McDonald's, me, Sam, and this guy. We sat down, we bought him a Big Mac meal. We sat, I know McDonald's is featuring highly in this, isn't it? But um, um, I'm sponsored by them as well as by Apple. Um, so, uh, but it made a difference. He just sat, we ate, we ate together. He had a Big Mac, and um, he just said, thank you so much. And he said, you know, what, what, why? And then just very simply, we just said, because, you know, we, we, can't, we couldn't just walk by and leave you. You know, you could see that you needed something, and... And, you know, we believe that God, God loves you and loves all of us and we've got a responsibility to make a difference, to get stuck in. Random acts of kindness. And you're sitting there thinking, yes, but what could I do? Ha ha. <laughs> you could take today my little diary, a, a random acts of kindness diary. You can go to the random acts of kindness website. It's a national thing. And you can download a, a, a diary. Um, we have a whole load here this morning. A diary, a random acts of kindness for May. And it says things like, um, hand out uh, homemade help coupons, write a poem for somebody special, um, start a garden, mow your neighbour's lawn, leave a generous tip for somebody. We are so rubbish at that, aren't we, in Britain? Go to America, people are like giving tips. All the- We're like, oh dear, what do you think we should give? Two pounds? I mean, how do you have that conversation? How much should we leave? <laughs> Two quid, three quid, five quid, four percent, five percent, ten percent. Get, leave 20%, you know, just leave a, a, an amazing tip for someone. Give your seat to an elderly person. Organize a carpool. Wash a car. Just some simple stuff that you could do throughout May. Why don't you take one as you go and uh, you could do it uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. And then you can go to the website. You can download June, July, August as well if you really love it. Just be a randomly kind person wherever you find someone. And this morning, uh, it's a bit dull, that is, but uh, it says skills and talents that I can offer. In front of you, given out, I think, in your notice sheet, there should be a little bit of paper that says, that looks like this, skills and talents that I can offer. In a moment, as we worship together towards the end, I'm going to invite you to fill it in. If you've got particular skills and talents that you'd like to make available to somebody else, fill it in. We gathered... um, this many from the nine o'clock congregation. So, on the basis of healthy competition, that's what you've got to compete with um, today. Amazing, isn't it? People fill them in and say, this is what, this is what I can offer. Uh, bake a cake or provide a, a, a two-course meal for someone, somebody said. Uh, isn't that great? Fill it in this morning. We're going to respond in a second by putting them in here. And then we're going to compile a list. And when we come across people with a sense of need, we're going to look, who is it that's got the skills to meet that need within our community? 
so you've got the form, and uh, in a few minutes' time, you're going to fill it in. That's what it means to be a neighbour. When Jesus said, uh, uh, go and do thou life, go and do the same. That's what he says to us this morning. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. You've listened to bits of Simon's talk. Um, go and do the same. Be that kind of Christian that gets stuck in, that makes a difference. It's faith alone that rescues us, but the faith that rescues us is never alone. It's got to be backed up by action and words and, and deeds. So why don't we stand together?